You're listening to Pastor Dave Lusk of Harvest Community Church in Catanning, Pennsylvania. We pray that you'll be challenged today as you listen to a sermon entitled Heroes of Faith, recorded on August 11th, 2019. For more information, check us out on the web at harvestpa.org. Let's join Pastor Dave as he preaches. Don't you just hate waiting? Is there anything quite so terrible as being forced to wait? Waiting in line, waiting for something to happen, waiting on good news, waiting on bad news, waiting for somebody to start talking, um, waiting to find something out, waiting on test results, waiting for a phone call. It's all difficult and it can cause us to have anxiety and worry because when you're waiting, typically there's nothing you can do to make it go faster. We wait because we're kind of powerless to do anything else. If we could do something else, it would no longer be waiting. My wife and I have done some waiting over the last few years. Uh, We're currently waiting for our first child to be born That's exciting, those of you who didn't know, yeah. And we're waiting to adopt a second child. Um, About a year ago, we announced that here, so we wait for a phone call, we wait to be told that we've been matched. Um, We've pretty much done everything we can to prepare for these things, and now we just wait. Hurry up and wait. Maybe you're here and that's you. You're waiting for something to happen You're waiting for something important to take place. You're waiting for something to change, right? You're waiting for something to be resolved. Maybe you're in the midst of a difficult situation and you don't know how it's all going to turn out. You can't change anything and so you just wait, right? Life is going in a direction maybe you didn't plan and you can't change that and so you wait. We did this series in Crave all last year called Heroes of Faith. We looked at Hebrews 11 at these different stories of heroes of faith and we examined them and saw how they can encourage and equip and empower us 
to live out our faith, to live similar lives of faith. We looked to these men and women in their stories and saw how we could apply those things to our own lives, being inspired by them. Today I want to look at one of those stories. Today I want to look at one of those heroes. So if you're expecting a commandment, sorry, come back next week. Um, Today, though, today our hero of faith is for all of those who are facing circumstances, situations beyond their control. Today, our hero of faith is for those who wait. I think this story resonates with me more now than it did just a year ago. And maybe even more than when I taught it back in Crave in the fall. By the way, if you're a Crave student here, you're not allowed to check out. Um, But it resonates with me more now because of where I am, because of the waiting I've already done, and because of the waiting that we're still doing. For those who don't know, my wife and I tried for three years to have biological children, and we couldn't. We don't know why. We, We couldn't. We're pregnant now and still don't know why or how. Well, take that back. I know how. I was there for that part. But for three years, we tried with no reason why we shouldn't be pregnant. We had all the tests, which in case you're wondering, are always like every test, the next one is slightly more invasive and awkward and uncomfortable. And at the end of each one, there was no reason why, right? The doctors had no explanations for us. And so with many tears and with prayer and with hurt and joy all mixed together, we felt God's call to pursue adoption, Something neither of us had really thought about before or planned for became something now that I can't imagine not doing. Even though we're pregnant now, we're still adopting. God brought us to that. Right? The, the plan, his plan hasn't changed, but our plan keeps changing. Um, and now that we're pregnant, it means more waiting and yay, more paperwork. Um, all that stuff we worked on, the home study and like the adoption profile with cool pictures and stories about our lives has to get updated now because significant things have changed in our home and will be changing, right? The video we made and, my goodness, there's so many things. Uh, And let me just say the road to getting where we are now wasn't easy either. We were honestly a little afraid to take the test to find out if we were pregnant. You know, I learned early on as a husband to kind of keep track of where we are in the month. Um, You know, the good husbands in the room are just kind of examining their shoes right now because they're trying desperately not to make eye contact with their wives, but they know what I'm talking about. You kind of know where you're at to just be aware and let's say extra sensitive and have chocolate on hand. So Adam and I both kind of knew where we were, but we just weren't talking about it, right? We just kind of, nobody said anything. When things didn't happen, when they should normally happen, we just kind of pretended like nobody knew what was going on. And we didn't take a test until almost a second month later because we didn't want to get our hopes up. And when we finally did take a test the first time, there was an error message, (laughs) Apparently, she has to pee on the stick. (laughs) Things you learn, right? But the second one, we did right, and it said pregnant. Yeah, we got the one with words. I don't mess with them lines. 
And there was just such this mix of emotions because getting here hasn't been extremely easy. It's been very difficult. It's stretched us and tested us and moved us places we weren't planning to go. And I don't doubt that it'll continue to do so and I wouldn't change any of it because even though it wasn't how I planned it out, even though the steps didn't go the way I thought it would, I understand now God's love better than I did before the difficulty and the challenges and the tears. See, Scripture teaches us that we're adopted as children of God. God chose us. He didn't have to adopt us. It wasn't an accident. It was a choice. He decided to make us his own through the blood of his son as a gift. It's a gift. We don't repay it. And it came at a price, and the price was paid by God. See, all of us have sinned. We've all disobeyed God. We've all done things that, that mean we deserve death. But God paid that penalty, paid that debt, so that we wouldn't have to, so that we could be his children, his sons and daughters. Right? He can't just ignore the debt. Something has to happen. He can't just pretend it's not there. And so God paid that through the blood of his son, Jesus I understand this better now. I understand what it means to be adopted as a son of God. I hope you understand that too, right? Because of this process, I can see that better now because of the difficulty and the tears. Now, just because I can see that doesn't magically make the situation less difficult. It doesn't make the fact that there were tears go away. It is difficult. We are still waiting But what we've learned is rather than focus on the waiting and our problems and the difficulties, we focus on God, on his love, on his kindness. Rather than focusing on my circumstances, I focus on God. And it keeps me from being overwhelmed by my circumstances. It keeps God as the center and foundation of my life. And so if you're here tonight, if you're here today, if you're listening to this, I hope that the story of this hero of faith is encouraging to you. I hope that it helps you focus on God rather than on your circumstances. If you're here in the midst of something, I hope you hear this and take it to heart, that it causes you to trust God in the midst of your difficulty. And if you're here and you're not facing difficulty, if life is good, I hope that it stays with you so that when you face a difficult situation, you remember and have something to look back on and hold fast to. So turn with me in your Bibles to Hebrews 11. Hebrews is in the New Testament. Hebrews 11. We don't actually know the author of Hebrews specifically. It's not listed. Mike actually did a series. He taught on Hebrews. You can go back and check those out online if you want. But Hebrews 11, and we're going to be in verse 11 and 12. Hebrews 11, 11 and 12. It'll also be on the screen. It says this. By faith... Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man, and him as good as dead, were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. So if you know your Old Testament, you know Sarah is Abraham's wife. You know Abraham is a big figure in the book of Genesis. And the author of Hebrews in taking us through kind of the history of the Hebrew people, of these heroes of faith, talks about Abraham just before this. Abraham, whom God will call to go to a promised land, a land that is not his, but that he will give to his descendants. 
that God will multiply them and bless them and bless the world through them. Now the author of Hebrews then switches his focus to Sarah, saying that by faith she received power to conceive. That's have a child, for those of you who don't know. Even when she was old, past age, things had kind of shut down. The biological clock had stopped ticking. We're told that by faith, Abraham and Sarah had a child, that from one man who was as good as dead, they're now descendants as numerous as the stars. So the author of Hebrews beautifully sums up Sarah's journey for us, and the point he draws out is so important, I don't want us to miss it, but I'm betting you, you did. And I only bet that because I missed it the first, I don't know how many times I read this book. Right? It's not a judgment, I'm not looking down on you, I've read this chapter many times, and I didn't see this until I had been going through it. Because when I hear the name Sarah, I don't automatically think of her whole story in Genesis. And I'm betting you don't either, which I wouldn't expect, mostly because you're not Jewish. Mostly. There might be like a few, you know, ethnically Jewish folks in the room. But the people hearing this are. They're Jewish. This is their history. They're familiar with these stories. And so they hear this and it resonates with them. But then similarly, the point he makes is so woven into the text, at at first glance, you can kind of miss it. So let's look back and understand Sarah's story so we can see the point the author's trying to make for us. We're first introduced to Sarah in Genesis 11, 29. Genesis 11, 29. This is right before Abraham is called by God to go to the promised land. God calls Abraham in Genesis 12. And so the chapter before, we're introduced to Abram, who will be Abraham, and his wife, Sarah, whose name at this point is Sarai. So Genesis eleven twenty nine and 30 says this, and Abram and Nahor took wives. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife, Milcah, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah and Ishka. Now Sarai was barren. She had no children. So in a very matter-of-fact way, We're introduced to Abraham and Sarah. Here's who they are. And equally matter of fact, we're told that Sarah is barren. She has no children. In the next chapter, they're going to be called to go, to leave their home, their family, to leave everything behind and to go to the land that God will show them and the land he will give as an inheritance because God, we're told, is going to make them a great nation But we need to understand the weight of what we've just been told about Sarah. See, family was everything back then. There's whole chunks of Genesis, if you read it, that are literally just genealogies. Son of, son of, son of. This person had this person, had this person, and so on. Things were handed down through the family. Tracing your lineage was important. This person had this child, and so on. And so Sarah would have felt the reality of her situation very personally. She would have stood out in that culture. She would have been an odd duck, not having children. (coughs) She probably would have even felt a little ashamed, wondering if she'd done something wrong, wondering perhaps if she had been cursed by God because of this. See, that was a common belief back then that barrenness was a curse from God that it was God's judgment on you for something you'd done wrong, that God was punishing you. And so it's possible that others would have even looked down on Sarah, believing the same thing about her, that she was being punished by God. 
But then in chapter 12, God calls Abraham to go. He, he says to take your wife and, and go. He promises to make them a great nation and to bless the world through him. And so in the midst of darkness and difficulty and doubt, hope now breaks through. Light breaks through. Sarah has hope. God, God is going to make us a great nation. The relief she feels in this moment, God has not cursed us. Her barrenness is not a curse from God. How could it be if God's going to make us a nation If God's going to bless the world through us, how could I be cursed? I have no doubt that Sarah's overjoyed in this moment, and so they go, and their waiting begins. They left their home, they travel around the land, right? The land that God says will one day belong to them and their descendants. Just one problem, they don't own any of it, and they don't have any descendants. And so they're struggling with this reality. Genesis 15, 1 through 6 shows this. It says, After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. So they've been traveling around. They've been doing well. God is blessing them and protecting them. They're prospering. But one problem Abraham's getting kind of old. He has no heir. He has no one to pass these things on to. He brings this up to God. Right? He's like, God, everything I have is going to belong to that dude who just works for me. What are we doing? And Abraham said, behold, you've given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. Abraham's struggling. I imagine Sarah is too. She's not mentioned here specifically, but she's probably been thinking the same thing. Abraham was 75 when he left, right? When this whole thing started, Sarah was 65. Verse four, and behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, look toward heaven and number the stars if you're able to number them. Then he said, so shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. I'm going to give you a son, God says. And come outside and look up at the stars. Count them if you can. That's how many your descendants will be. That's what I'm going to do for you, declares the Lord. And then God makes a covenant with Abraham, swearing that it'll happen. But then look with me at 16, one chapter later. Now Sarai, Abraham's wife, had borne him no children. Same story, different page. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarah said to Abraham, Behold, now the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. That's a whole other sermon, guys. <laughs> Not going to touch that one. So after Abram had lived 10 years in the land of Canaan, Sarah, Abram's wife, took Hagar the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. God has promised, but they still don't have children. It's been 10 years, 10 years since they left their home and started this journey. The first 65 years of her life and 75 of his life, they've been childless. The promise comes, they go, they're faithful, they listen, they listen. 
10 years and nothing. And so like many people in difficult situation that seems to have no end, that just drags on, they try to change the situation themselves. Sounding familiar to anyone yet? God has promised, but it isn't happening yet. God has shown me this thing, but it isn't working yet. So Sarah starts to think maybe Abraham's supposed to get his son a different way. She comes up with a plan. I've got an idea. Might not be a good idea, but 10 years of waiting, really bad ideas can start to sound really good, can't they? All that weight and frustration and difficulty and pain, bad ideas can start to look pretty good. What once was a a thought of desperation now seems reasonable. I'll give you my servant. And maybe we'll get a son from her. This never goes poorly. Now this wouldn't have been an uncommon practice in those days. It's like BC surrogacy of sorts. (laughs) Of sorts. (laughs) But this isn't the way God plans to fulfill his promise. In fact, this is only going to complicate things. Go figure. Verse 4. He went into Hagar and she conceived. And when she saw she conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. That's like the, I'm better than you. I have one up to you. And Sarai said to Abram, may the wrong done to me be on you. I gave my servant to your embrace and when she saw that she conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. But Abram said to Sarai, behold, your servant's in your power. Do as do her as you please. Then Sarai dealt harshly with her and she fled from her. Anyone ever get in trouble just for listening to their wife? Don't raise your hands. Don't raise your... I don't want to start something here. (laughs) This is your fault, she says. What's Abram do? He, shirt, whatever, do what you want, lady. There's that complication I was talking about. Do you feel her pain, though? I can. Sarah now has a very complicated relationship with her servant and the little rug rat running around and her husband. There's all this tension. She's not handling it the best. Neither is really Hagar or Abram. Abraham's not squeaky clean here either. He went along with the plan. Verse 16, Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. Can't you understand why this happened, though? Can't you see it? It's been 10 years. 10 years. They're growing older. How can, how can the things God promised happen if we don't do something? If we don't take matters into our own hands? How are the promises ever going to be fulfilled if we don't make it happen? These kind of poor decisions are the result of focusing on our circumstances rather than focusing on God. So I know it probably frustrates many people who struggle, which is probably why Kevin gets the majority of the counseling calls, when I just tell you to stop focusing on your problems and focus instead on God. See, but I don't tell you that because I don't understand. I I tell you that because I do understand. I understand what it is to struggle. I understand what it is to face difficulty, to face circumstances you can't control. I don't say that because that's what I'm supposed to say or that's what they told me to say when I went to college. I tell you to focus on God and not your problems because I know 
Right? I tell you to focus on him and to do everything you can to fill your heart, your mind, your life with him and not your problems because I know what it is to struggle. I know what it is to try to fix and tw- tinker and tweak and try to pull and wrestle control from God back into your own life because you're afraid, because you're hurting, because you don't see how it's going to work. I know what it is to hurt. I know what it is to wait. I tell you to focus on God because I understand where the other path leads. Because I know where focusing on your problems will take you. It leads to trying to fix things yourself, to trying to make it work, to wrestling control from God, which means many times giving into sin, which means compromising what we know is good. Many times when we can't see how it could work, how doing things God's way could possibly work. And so we abandon God's way and just give into sin. But that won't fix it, just like right here. Right, for Abraham and Sarah, this did not fix the problem. It made it worse. It added a whole new complication to it. This didn't fix the problem. Yeah, Abraham's got a son, but the problem's still there. It still exists. Genesis 17, 15 through 19, continuing in their story. And God said to Abraham, so he's changed his name now, in case you caught that. As for Sarah, your wife, you shall no longer call her name Sarah, but Sarah shall be her name. Now Sarah gets her name changed. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. Now we're getting specific. I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of peoples shall come from her. If you remember the history, the story of Samuel, this is David. This is eventually Jesus who were blessed through. This one family, this one woman. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed. <laughs> it's an interesting response to God telling you he's going to do the thing he's promised to do. He fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old? Shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? He finds it ridiculous. And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. God said, No, but Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. Means he laughs. (laughs) I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. So God gets more specific. He changes her name and says, I'm going to give you a son. Not only a son, but a son from Sarah. And Abraham laughs. How? That laugh says, This man's tired. He's been playing out family drama. He's like, God, how's this? Like, I'm a hundred. Not even like exaggerating. He is literally a hundred. Some of you are like, I feel that today. I feel a hundred. And if God showed up and was like, I'm going to give you another child. Some of you are like, nah, dude, we're good. That's Abraham. I'm a hundred. She's 90. Probably haven't touched each other in years. It's like, we already got one running around. We got, there's some little ankle biter out there somewhere. He's hiding in with the sheep. Can we just use him? <laughs> That's what he's asking. Oh, that Ishmael might live. God, this one. We, it, you know, this bun's out of the oven. It's cooked. Can't we just use this one? God says No. That's not my plan. Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son. And it is through him 
that I will fulfill my promise. This is through, this is the child that I will bless the world through. One chapter later, Sarah is told this news herself. <laughs> God, God uh, appears to them in Genesis 18, 9 through 15. They said to him, where is Sarah, your wife? He said, she's in the tent. And the Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year. And Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I'm worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure. So Sarah's in the tent, listening in on the conversation like a good wife. It's a tent. Eavesdropping's like impossible not to do. It's not like they're thick. It's not like she's got the glass to the tent fabric. Like she can hear them. They're just right outside. And let's let's be honest. If God showed up and started talking to your spouse, wouldn't you listen in? Yeah, you would. Right. So she's listening in and finds out that at 90, 90 years old, she's going to have a kid. And so she's laughing to herself, like out loud, just starts laughing. After I'm worn out, she says, the way of women had ceased, we're told, right? The biological clock has run out. Do you know what, like, are you tracking? There's no more eggs in the fridge. She's postmenopausal. I'll just say, like, it's done. It's over. They don't go to that aisle in Walmart anymore. There's no more need, right? The Lord said to Abraham, Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, shall I indeed bear a child now that I'm old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I didn't laugh, for she was afraid. He said, no, but you did laugh. It's in there. This laugh speaks volumes. First, because it's laugh. Don't, this isn't like a little snicker, right? This is like a full-blown, can't contain it, just catch you off guard, laugh. And can't you just relate to Sarah in this moment? She hears this news from God that at 90, she's going to have a kid. And she just can't help it. The laugh just comes erupting out of her. It just seems so ridiculous. She was 65 when this started. Remember that. She was 65 years old when this started. That means she's been waiting on this promise for 25 years. 25 years she's been waiting. And now, when she's practically dead, now, now, now. Yeah, you, you can't help but laugh either. So she laughs, and God hears it. And I love this little interaction. Why'd you laugh? I didn't laugh. Oh, yes, you did. <laughs> You laughed. I heard it. Right? She lies before she even has a chance to stop her. It's like the little kid. Did you eat that cookie? No. Crumbs all down their face. Chocolate smeared up by their eye. How do kids get chocolate places that are nowhere near their mouths? I'm, you know, asking for a friend, let's say. I got to find this out somehow because, like, it just baffles me sometimes, especially because you're like, we don't even have chocolate in the house. <laughs> She laughs. 
God calls her on it. She lies before she even has a chance to stop herself. This is just such an honest moment. This is not some stained glass person. You want to know why we know the Bible's real? Beyond all the evidence, stories like this. If it's propaganda, if it's made up, you don't put stuff like that in there. Laugh. God hears you. Why'd you laugh? I didn't laugh. Yes, you did. This is real. This is a real person. This isn't some figure. This isn't some made-up story to teach us a lesson, right? Nobody laughs at God in Aesop's fables. No, this is real. This is happening. This is a real person with real problems, real struggles, real pain. And the struggle they're having here, Abraham and Sarah have kind of given up. We heard it from Abraham. Can't we just use that one? And then Sarah laughs. They've given up, not on God, but on themselves. I don't think Sarah and Abraham lost faith in God. They've just lost faith in themselves, specifically in their ability to have children. Right? They had hope back when this all started, way back Genesis 12, when they were called by God, finding out they're not cursed, but they're blessed and going to be a blessing. They're called by God to this higher purpose. So now they're thinking, well, now it might work, right? God is calling us. Now maybe our bodies will get on board. Nope. They're old now. They've given up on their bodies, mostly because their bodies are giving up on them. <clears throat> and they laugh because they're old. How could this possibly work, they think. You thought you were an old parent at the PTA meetings. Imagine your 115-year-old dad showing up. <laughs> yeah, it's ridiculous. And so they look at themselves and laugh because it's certainly not going to work because of them. But then it's never really been about them, has it? It's not about them. It's not about what they are or aren't capable of. It isn't about their abilities. When God called them, when God chose them, when God sent them, he called them out of their story and into the story he's writing, the story he's still writing through our lives. See, their story isn't about them, it's about God. It's about God at work to display his glory and his majesty, his power through their lives, which is why they have a child now, beyond all logic, beyond all reason. See, this isn't a whoops child. This isn't the like, oh, ha, huh, one more, like, this isn't the, oh, dang, we forgot to, no, this isn't the accident. This isn't the, you know, we finally found the right home remedy. This isn't the somebody gave us the right essential oils kid. No, oh, some of you are hurt by that because you sell essential oils. <laughs> they have a child now because God gave them a child through his direct action and intervention. It has to be God. How else could a 90-year-old and a 100-year-old get a son other than kidnapping? Genesis 21, 1 through 7. The Lord visited Sarah as he said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, <coughs> whom Sarah bore him, Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. 
Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. And so her laughter, that laugh that said, how? How could this possibly work? Turns now to joy and praise of God. But we're left with a question, aren't we? Why? Why so long? Why did they have to wait so long? Because that's the question that we're, we're left with. That's the one that kind of lingers. Why so long? 25 years after God called them and promised them. Why so long? If he's going to do that, why not call them when they're in their 30s? They're already old. Why does God wait so long to give them a child? Sarah tells us. Who would have said it could happen? Who would have said it was possible? Right? Why did they have to wait? Because it wasn't possible. That's the point. Right? This isn't the, well, just stop trying so hard and it'll happen, kid. They, ha- they had a hundred years. Why'd they have to wait? Because it was impossible now. Because it wasn't possible. Because their story isn't about what's possible with man. Their story is about God doing the impossible. Like bringing us to himself. Like redeeming us from sin. Their story is about God and his faithfulness to bring us to himself to fulfill his promises despite our lack of capability. See, his promises are fulfilled in spite of us, which is a beautiful thing. They've lost faith in themselves, and I don't think that's a bad thing. Dave's little soapbox moment. We live in a world that tells us too much to just believe in yourself. Believe in yourself and you can do anything. Believe in yourself Most important thing, got to believe in yourself. Maybe don't, right? I I don't think as a culture we, we struggle with that. I think maybe we believe in ourselves a little too much, right? Have faith in yourself and you can do anything. I honestly think we need to have a little less faith in ourselves. I think we need to believe in ourselves a little less. Sarah's story is not a, Uh, have faith in yourself and you can do anything message. Don't walk away with that. That's not what her story teaches us. It's not what it points us to. Sarah's message is not have faith in yourself and you can overcome any circumstance. Don't walk away thinking that. That's not what I want you to see. That's not what the author wants us to see. Don't walk away thinking that the solution to your difficulties is just to believe in yourself. Have faith in yourself a little bit more. That's not the answer. What is the lesson the writer of Hebrews wants us to learn from Sarah's life and her faith? Let's look back and see. Maybe now it'll jump out at us. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age since she considered him faithful who had promised. Do you see it now? Do you see what her story teaches us? Rodney made fun of me earlier for my one-point map. Here it is. The one who promised is faithful. 
That's what her story teaches us. The one who promised is faithful. It has nothing to do with me. It has nothing to do with believing in myself enough or having enough faith in myself. Things will work out. Why? Because the one who promised is faithful. The end of your story is not destruction. Why? Because the one who promised is faithful. This pain, this pain will end. Not only will it end, but God will use it for your good. Why? Because the one who promised is faithful. Because God who promised is faithful. That's the beautiful truth of this story, right? The one who promised is faithful. What does Sarah's story teach us is not about believing in yourself. It isn't about having faith in yourself, and thank goodness for that. Thank goodness we don't have to make this life work on our own. It's about putting our faith in God, putting your faith in God who is bigger than you and your circumstances and your problems, who's bigger than the plan you have for your own life and whose plan is better. He's bigger than your pain and your difficulties. So why do I want you to focus on God? Why do I continue to come back to this idea? Why do I continue to exhort and to teach and to counsel this point Why do I say again and again and again and again to focus on God and not on your problems, to trust him and lean on him and lean into him and dig deep into him rather than into this world or yourself or your problems? Because the one who promised is faithful. I want you to hold on to and understand and make that truth foundational to your life because when the world comes crashing in, that's what we need to hold on to. The one who promised is faithful. If life is good right now, you need to hold on to that because guess what? All that can go away. That plan, that safety net, that whatever you're putting your faith in that makes you feel good in this moment, it can get ripped out from under you. Some of you have felt that. Some of you know that already. And so hear this. The one who promised is faithful. It's not about you. It's not about how you're going to make it work. It's not about how you're going to figure it out. It's not about how you're going to accomplish it. The one who promised is faithful. God who promised is faithful. And that's what faith's about. Hebrews 11.1 1 sets that up. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Faith is for those who wait. Faith is for those who are, who are uncertain how the plan's going to unfold. Faith is for those who, who look at what's going on and don't know how it's going to work. Faith is for those who are struggling. The conviction of things not seen. It's for those who are facing difficulty. That's the point. That's why we have faith. That's why we're encouraged to have faith and to put that faith in something far greater than ourselves or our money or our banks or our jobs or our plans. That's why it's so important to keep our focus on God and remain faithful in that because the one who promised is faithful. I don't know what specifically you're facing or you will face. I could give you lots of examples from my life over the last couple of years. And I say that to tell you this, I know the temptation when those things happen. Like when somebody stole all the money out of our bank account last year. Surprise, you have no money left. 
the one who promised is faithful. Don't let your problems, don't let your pain and your difficulties pull your focus away from God. Lean into your faith in those difficult moments. Lean into God. Place your trust squarely on him and I promise you, you will not be disappointed when we face difficulty, when the world comes crashing in, when, when our problems seem primed to overtake us, we need to remember, remember the promise God made. Remember that he has adopted us. Remember that he has promised us life through his son, Jesus. Remember the sacrifice that Jesus made, that you have been forgiven. And remember the ultimate promise that one day he will make all things new. Hold on to this. Revelation 21, 1 through 7. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. Why? Because these ones are broken. This one's broken. God will make it new. A new heaven, a new earth. For the first heaven and first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. What a beautiful thing that is to hear. That's the truth we hold on to. And then he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I'm making all things new. And he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have his heritage and I will be his God and he will be my son. This is the beautiful truth. This is the promise that we all await one day. This is what all who have trusted in Jesus for salvation wait for. This is the ultimate promise. This all goes away and is replaced by something far better One day God will return and he will dwell with us. We will be his people. He will be our God close enough to see him face to face that he will wipe the tears from our eyes that we will be with God forever. That's the promise. That's the promise that we wait for. But waiting for that, trusting that in faith means that while we are here, we don't see God face to face. Means that while we are here, we still have pain. We still have tears. We still have suffering. We still have death. And so we look and we focus on our, our eyes on the one who promised. The one who promised to take those things away, to wipe every tear, to remove suffering and sickness from death. All those things will one day pass away. And so we look forward to that with anticipation, with joy, even in the midst of suffering even in the midst of difficulty, even in the midst of pain, in the midst of trial, we wait, we trust in faith that the one who promised is faithful, that the one who promised will make all things new. And so we wait knowing that God who promised is faithful. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Harvest Community Church. We invite you to join us at any one of our four campuses located in Catanning, Petrolia Valley, Indiana, and Freeport. For more information, check us out on the web at harvestpa.org.